a reading from Psalm 128. I've put the wrong reference on your page there. These are God's words. A song of ascent. How blessed is everyone who fears Yahweh, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of the, uh, the, fruit of the labor of your hands, how blessed will you be, and how well will it be for you? Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the innermost parts of your house, your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, for thus shall be the man, uh, the man be blessed who fears Yahweh. May Yahweh bless you from Zion, that you may see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. These are God's words. You can take your seats. This psalm rejoices in the blessings that God gives to man, to a man who has lived in the fear of Yahweh. It shows what blessings God loves to give those who fear him, and it shows us what true blessings are. And in so doing, it holds out an attractive prospect for the young man who is living in the fear of Yahweh. This is a future that all young men should want. And this psalm says to young men, if you live in the fear of Yahweh, he will gladly give you these great blessings in time. Notice the nature of these blessings. Eating of the fruit of your labor, having a fruitful wife, and having a table full of children. These blessings cannot be instantaneously attained. They must be given by God over time. These long-term blessings also come after years of faithful work and sacrifice. The connection between the fear of Yahweh and work and sacrifice is made in verse 2, when it says that the man who walks in God's ways shall eat the fruit of the labor of his hands. Those who fear Yahweh will work, then afterward enjoy the fruit of their labor. God does not bless a man by dropping a wife and family in his lap. This is a blessing that God builds over time. This glorious prospect of having children around you like olive trees at your table is the prospect of cumulative blessing, blessings built upon blessings over time. In this day and age, I think it is important to address the fact that this psalm is male-centric. Putting it another way, in a way that would upset the feminists, which I like to do from time to time, it is a patriarchal psalm. God was pleased to give the church, made up of both men and women, a song for both genders to sing that rejoices in the blessings exclusively given to faithful men, patriarchs of the home. Only a man can have a faithful wife being faithful in the innermost parts of his home. It begins with the general principle, how blessed is everyone who fears Yahweh, but it then applies that general principle to men only. In an age saturated in feminism, I would expect this emphasis to be troubling for many modern Christians. If this emphasis is deemed sexist by someone, putting it plainly, they have a problem with what God values and who God is. When we have trouble with the way God frames things or where he puts his emphasis, we need to realign our thinking with his. These blessings should be something that both men and women want to rejoice in. It is good for the Christian to sing about all 
the glories seen in God's design, and one of those glorious things is the male led home. It is good to praise God for these things that he chooses to bless faithful men with. But why do people hate patriarchy, and why do they hate the male led home? Um, I'm going to have a crack at this. We know that Non's already had a real good crack at this with the book, but um, I'm, going to, I'm going to talk about Disney. Um, it is easy to see that Satan, the prince of the power of the air, is in the business of training the affections of our culture in the opposite direction to godliness. Christians being part of this culture do not escape from this conforming influence unless we resist it. Satan knows that if we hate God's standards, we are not going to follow them, even if we can plainly see them on the pages of Scripture. So how has he and this worldly system that he controls been training our culture's affections away from the blessings laid out in the psalm? There are many ways, uh, but here is one example. Think about Jasmine in the movie Aladdin. As Aladdin is speaking to her dad in Jafar about courting her, she interrupts them indignantly with, I am not a prize to be won. While there were definitely some problematic things in her Muslim culture around arranged marriage and whatnot, and being married before 16 was a pretty stupid rule, even so, was it wrong that Aladdin was trying to win her to himself? The movie implied that this pursuit cheapened her, that Aladdin's advances made her seem like one of those junky prize teddies at a fair. So her indignation was justified, apparently. They made it seem as though a man should not prize a woman and consider her as a potential asset to his home. But the psalm unashamedly speaks about a man's wife being an asset to him. Verse 3 says, Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the innermost parts of your house. Proverbs 18.22 says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from Yahweh. A good wife is an asset to a man, and it is also a sign of God's favor upon him. Not an asset in the way that a piece of furniture is an asset, but as a helper fit for him, a productive member of his household, a fruitful vine. Only one person, a woman, can fulfill this role. And when this role is fulfilled, well, it is a blessing to a man. There is a unique glory in a woman taking on the role of a wife. If a woman understands this glory, when a man pursues her to fulfill that role of glory in his home, she should be honored, not indignant. She is being highly prized, highly valued by him, as she should be. Despite the efforts of Disney to rubbish the idea, it is an inescapable concept that women will be prized by men. The question is not, will they be prized, but what will they be prized for? Will they be prized as an exciting fling with no commitments, or as someone who would be great to love with permanence, someone to build a home and a life with? Each of these prizes have a particular kind of value. One is temporary and fading in glory, while the other is lasting and increasing in glory. The writer of the psalm places value where it ought to be placed. How blessed is the man whose wife is a fruitful vine in the innermost parts of his house. While the psalm is laying out the blessings that God gives to men, 
All women should see this description of feminine female blessing and want to be that for a man. This, is, this kind of woman is glorious. You could be the kind of woman that God decides to bless a man with, a faithful man. You can be his prized woman. So to make this point land, when you or I are singing the lines in the psalm about the gift or blessing of a faithful wife to a faithful man, remember we are rejoicing in the wonderful design that God has for the godly home. God gives good gifts to his people. And men and women alike can praise him for this particular good gift, a well-functioning male-led home. And you can do this even if it is a gift that you have not received yet. The blessing is praiseworthy regardless of whether you have it in your possession or not. A lovely home is a gift from the hand of God to some, and we should praise God for giving that gift where he does. Added to the blessing of a faithful wife, he gives the man who fears Yahweh children around his table. The end of verse 3 says, Your children will be like olive plants around your table. Now, Non and I have labored to show through our teaching that there are no wasted words in Scripture. Each word was chosen by God with intentionality, and it is the glory of man to seek out and understand the full intention behind each word that he gives us. In other places in Scripture, children are described as gifts from the Lord, as a reward, as arrows in a quiver, as a crown to the aged. Here, they are described as being like olive plants around a man's table. There is a lot for us to draw from the details of this image. The meaning or value of an olive plant would have been obvious or natural to those who were first given the song. Whoever wrote this psalm used this image of olive plants without feeling the need to explain it or make obvious the connection between olive plants and children. Olive plants were common back then, and every, everyone in that culture knew that they were a thing to be highly valued. Children were to be desired around your table because they were good, productive, and useful, like olive plants were. Comparing the fruit of the womb to olive plants, God would have us also consider our children as fruit that produces fruit. Olive plants produce olives. The Hebrew word for olive plants here is more accurately translated olive shoot and immature olive plant. So children are like immature olive plants. To be surrounded by olive shoots was to be rich in potential resources. They are still resources when they are not mature, but their fruitful years will come later. Children are valuable to a father like a sprouting field. In time, there will be a yield. But they are more than just potentially useful. Having these olive shoots around your table implies table fellowship. He is blessed to have them around him at his table. It is a blessing. It is fun. It is fulfilling to sit down to a good meal with a table full of your goofy little kids. Our current age of feminism does not understand this at all. Children are a drag. Babies are a burden. Better to have a quiet candlelit date than the racket of family fellowship. The natural desire to have a table full of children has been overtaken by the desire for ease and personal freedom. 
For many modern women, the prospect of having a table surrounded by many children would either drive them away from that table or to the bottle of wine in the middle. The blessings of the psalm are no blessings at all to them. They are a nightmare. If this is what God gives to the Christian family, let them have it. This is because both the fruit and the desire to be fruitful is a gift from God. Ecclesiastes 3.12.13 says, I know that there is nothing better for them than to be glad and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks and sees good in all his labor, it is the gift of God. It is the gift of God to enjoy the fruits of your labor, and one of those fruits is the fruit of the womb. It takes work to raise a child. And we will despise that work if our sinful hearts are left to their own devices. God restores in us good and natural desires for children, along with the work that they bring, by changing the hearts of sinners. But God does not always show this kind of grace. He vindicates his wisdom by restoring some to healthy affections for the family, but he is also wanting to vindicate his wisdom by leaving some to their folly. One of the most tragic things to behold is a woman who intentionally threw away her opportunity to be fruitful. The loneliness and depression that comes from this folly also vindicates God's wisdom. Christian households that joyfully accept children around their tables will continually bear witness to what the feminists have rejected. Each night, the tables of our nation are like many parables of wisdom. Some women sit down to a meal with their sweet little children staring back at them, and others sit down to fruitless tables. One table is lovely and blessed and lasting. The other is ready to fade away with them. And the tragic empty dinner table is becoming more and more common as feminism runs its course in our culture. May we, by the grace of God and the power of his word, prevent more young women from having this fate. The other word that is packed with meaning here is that these children, given to the man who fears Yahweh, surround him at his table. I think we would miss something important if we skimmed over this table fellowship as though it was something incidental to the, to the meaning of the psalm. One of the greatest joys that a man can have is gathering his children around him for a meal. That assembling of a man's offspring is full of profound glory. Table fellowship sits here in this psalm as the pinnacle of a man's earthly blessing. It is how he enjoys the fruit of his labors. The fruit is sitting right there. This is when he enjoys it. He is not only there to enjoy the fruit of his labor, but his fruit also enjoys his labor with him. There is a multiplying effect at work in this blessing. His work is returning to him in sweet familial fellowship. Think about it. First, the man gains a wife and adds her to his table. More of this fellowship is done by candlelight than any other stage of his life. Two lovers share a table, and there is a unique glory to it. But this is still the most simple and basic form of a family. Its glory must pass for greater glories, because then God adds another to his table. This new addition is clipped into a seat, looking chubby and cute, and they give you that joy that you can only experience when feeding a baby sour food for the first time. They add to your table fellowship. 
then another comes, and the first one begins to talk. You laugh, and as they laugh at each other, filling their hair with food. Then another is added in the table. Uh, then another is added to the table, and your children's humour grows in sophistication. The fun is multiplied with each new child, and as they grow into maturity, your table fellowship grows and grows until eventually, as the psalm says, you are surrounded. You have a full table. This later table has a glory that is incomparable to the first state of that table. There is nothing like a joyful Christian dining table, and it is the hope of every God man, a godly man, to have that. This is what heaven will be like, a full table. All the children of God gathered to their father's table, mature in faith, sitting down to a banquet, overflowing with expressions of thanksgiving and joy. God blesses man, the man who fears Yahweh, with a small taste of the heavenly table with his earthly table. With this being the case, we ought to love our tables as our heavenly father loves his table. Satan would love us to be blinded to our blessings. The psalm is telling us that we must value table fellowship. If we do not value being surrounded by our children at our dining tables, our desires have become twisted, similar to the feminists. Our table could become a patriarchal curse if we receive them with ingratitude and grumbling. And I'm preaching to myself here. I'm often more attentive to what my child is not eating than that my child is at my table not eating. Is dinner a grumpy time for dad? Is the table something your kids want to escape? We need to make our tables a place that our children love, a place that they are drawn to. This one consideration, that the table is at the pinnacle of a man's blessing, should wipe that frown off daddy's face even when he is cleaning porridge off the floor or, un or unable to enjoy his own food because he's occupied with disciplining the kids. Yes, this table is a place of hard work, but it is supposed to be enjoyed. It is supposed to be enjoyable hard work. Otherwise, this psalm strips the appeal away from the blessings of fearing Yahweh. To be surrounded by your kids at a table is not a blessing for those who do not want the work that accompanies it. It is a burden. The pinnacle of a man's earthly blessings is not a couch. It is not Netflix and chill. It is a table, mess and all. Of all the blessings that the psalmist could have included in this song, he chose to highlight the wonderful blessings of the table. Don't let Satan and your flesh twist a blessing into a burden. We need to cultivate gratitude and look for the blessings that are easily found at our tables. One, one application we can make from this point is that we should make family meals a priority. Some of us grew up in family cultures where the TV was always on during dinner. That was my culture. Nowadays, phones are the new TV. Now, I'm not wanting to make an illegalistic rule, but it is manifestly true that our phones and TVs can become a natural barrier to normal table fellowship. That is a barrier to our blessing. We need to treat our tables like an indispensable place of family communion and bonding. This might require radical leadership from dad, allowing some things and prohibiting others for the sake of table fellowship 
for the sake of his blessing. Obviously, there are going to be times when dad or someone else in the family will be absent from the table. But hopefully in those times, dad will be missed. Dad being gone should be abnormal and a felt loss. Our kids should think, the one we gather around is not here. This is weird. When dad is at home and mum is blessing the family with a nice meal and all the children are there to enjoy it, that should be the normal. By this, the whole family will regularly share in dad's blessing. Verse 4. For thus shall the man who... For thus shall the man be blessed who fears Yahweh. The psalm ends with, May Yahweh bless you from Zion, that you may see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, you may see, may you see your children's children, peace be upon Israel. One thing that has to be said is that these blessings are not guaranteed in all circumstances. The psalmist shows here, us here, that those fearing Yahweh must also ask him for his blessings to abide upon them all the days of their life. There is a, a request made here. While these blessings are the norm, godly men will lose the fruit of their labors at times and in seasons. Even so, we shouldn't sacrifice the general truth for the exception. It came to mind during my preparation that godly men and Christian households get caught up into national judgments of God as well. Poverty can strike a land, and even the godly man's dining room table will be affected by it. We desire the prosperity of our nation, but we should not expect it while wicked men and women rule. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Proverbs 14.34 The message of these last, this last verse that I read has been weighing heavy on me over the, the last few years. If we as a nation are going to be blessed with prosperity, God must have mercy on us first. He must grant us national repentance. You would have all seen the New Zealand police kidnapping that child this week, stealing it from his mother, who didn't want to have the vaccinated blood um, put in after the operation. Um, our nation deserves just, uh, God's just wrath for things like this allowing these things to happen. And there are many other reasons why our nation deserves God's judgment. Even so, we ought to sing this psalm and ask that God would bless us, that we may see the prosperity of New Zealand all the days of our life. Indeed, may we see our children's children. He is our only hope. We need the mercy of Christian reformation over our nation if this is going to happen. These things are serious. The church cannot continue play-acting Christianity in our culture. God will not tolerate sustained wickedness in any land. This nation needs to repent or we will be vomited out of the land, like many nations have been. Whether he continues to grant us the prosperity we have grown to be used to or not, and it looks like we, we probably will be losing some of that prosperity, this is a psalm that we ought to sing in every circumstance. We are always in need of the favor of God, so we should always be asking for it in faith, as this song does, knowing that God blesses those who fear him and call upon him in prayer. Let us pray fervently for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. 
This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the full knowledge of the truth. May his peace be upon his church. May his peace be upon our nation. Let's sing the psalm now to the tune of Come Thou Fountain. Thank you. 